Hello and welcome to the fourth Australian Design Executive Club Town Hall. When I began this series, going back uh, three months, I began it so that we could go talk about beyond COVID. And what was really interesting was it was how was people reacting to the COVID circumstance? How were they then actually rebounding? And then what were they reimagining as being the scope of the conversation? In the last month, we've seen the Black Lives Matter um, uh, raise its head. And we expect to see many more of those sorts of challenges come up. COVID has actually got us to go reimagine what the future is going to be like. And normal was broken before we got to COVID and some of those issues need to be dealt with. So we definitely know that from an equity and social justice, Black Lives Matter, that there's some corrections that need to be done there. There's definitely, from an environment perspective, there's elements that need to be addressed there. But we also have to think about the efficiency and how we're creating leverage for organisations so that their investment in design is actually something that carries them further. If we don't focus on that, we're actually creating new costs without new benefits. So we need to make sure we get both of those levers right there. Joining me is a, a panel of experts. For those of you that are meeting me for the first time, I'm Mark Berger, the founder of Driven by Design. We run a series of design awards around the world. As some people say, the largest network of design awards in the world, which I'm very, I feel very grateful when they say that. But the important thing is that we work out how to create recognition for past projects. The people who are on the call here have all been involved with the awards in different ways over the years. But what they bring is that they bring in an understanding of how does design work from uh, the organisational leverage and then how does it also work in their practice. So I'm going to jump in here and I'm going to ask Theo, I'm going to go directly across to you and ask you because... K20 has a speciality. The, the, the 20 was actually meant to be to zero emissions and you've been that way for, uh, for 15 to 20 years has been in your mind. We're seeing a dramatic change that's taking place from an environment perspective, but you've also got some projects that are underway and in build stages. How has COVID interrupted that cycle, the cadence, and then also how's it changed the priority of the people who are supporting those projects and sponsoring them? Uh, COVID's been really challenging on a lot of different fronts. It's been really fast paced, Mark. It's required, it's been a very demanding period. It hasn't been, what it hasn't been is, is disastrous for us, um, but, it, but it does require, it has required a lot of adaptability to, to change. And I guess a, an openness to change. Um, the way that translates out onto our projects is um, the flexibility in our work staff so there's a number of there's a number of there's a number of things that i'm doing at the moment so one is the architectural practice the other actually is the construction of our one of our major projects at the moment uh building that project and also the the manufacturer of that project as well with the uh the patent that sits behind it which is a timber what what, what i call simple laminated timber so, you know, we're, I'm involved in the, you know, from designing the lines to constructing, to constructing the lines to managing the lines and, and, um, and, you know, now there's another element to it, which is creating a, a housing organisation that comes out of that as well for people with disabilities. So one of, the, one of the challenges that we're faced with in developing this vertically integrated um, element is an engagement with our people and a recognition around the entire supply chain. So the entire supply chain is the entire supply chain here. So from um, architects to engineers to plasterers to concreters, 
to manufacturers, to suppliers of, you know, raw material, um, banking, uh, economists in terms of the reporting that we've done with the housing organisation, back to regulatory bodies for, you know, the registration requirements. So there's actually been a, a, a full exposure that I've been involved in. And one of the things that I've seen throughout the entire thing is a, a real change, or not a change, but a real distinct band of difference between people that are willing to accept change and those who are willing to not accept change. Um, COVID has thrust that upon all of us, um, if we like it or don't like it. And the thing that I'm seeing out there is, is people that are willing to accept change are surviving. People that are not willing to accept change are not surviving. But on top of that, what I'm also seeing is um, fear uh, amongst people. And what I'm also seeing is the role that the leaders that, that we have as leaders have in, um, in, our, in our supply chain amongst our people, um, you know, to calm the situation, to allow for understanding, to recognise that people are stressed, um, to recognise that, you know, not everyone's the same. So everything's become really heightened. Everything's become, you know, uh, really present. From my point of view, where I see it, it's actually become thoroughly enjoyable. It's, uh, hopefully, you know, don't think that any other way, but because you are simply in the moment, mm -hmm. it's moving so fast um, that you've really got no other choice to to deal with everything. And it's, it's real time. It's now time. Um, and that's been really good because it's actually being allowed. It's actually allowed us to make decisions in our certainly in the architecture business to make decisions faster than we've had to do previously. Where previously we'd, we'd labour on every decision that we'd make, Mark. We'd really consider every decision. We'd almost to the point where we actually wouldn't be making decisions. So for us, uh, and really don't take this. You know, COVID is not a desirable position to be in, but. It's, 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 it's forced us to change our way. And I guess, you know, I'm really proud of the way we've dealt with that. Um, and I'm really proud of the way our people have dealt with that. You know, the culture of our organisation, the culture of our team. Um, and it's really, it's really quite distinct also when you're actually out on the building site, when I'm out on the building site, um, the, you know, the attitude of people. Um, you know, people will, and I'm bouncing around between sort of, you know, companies here that, you know, people will either say, I can do that, or people will sit there and, and look at you for the entire direction and almost to the point where you're actually doing the job for them. And that's a really sad position for the person who's looking for the entire direction because that's a person who is just really um, constricted in their ability of functioning, you know. But it, but it actually makes it right now a very, a very apparent Culture in organisations is very apparent. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I, I look at that and I go, that's a helpful thing. So, um, you know, COVID is not a good thing, but what it's, what it's given us is the ability of recognising who we are. It's given us the ability of, of, of recognising that we need to change. Um, and, you know, we're either going to make the change or we're not going to make the change. And simply, if you don't make the change, well, shut the doors and go home, basically. Um, and we're not going to do that. I'm not sure if I've, I've sort of answered the two parts to the question there, Mark. But No, you've done, you've done an absolutely brilliant job there because yeah. what, what I like of what you went and described was you're talking about these four different 
um, in some ways silos. I know you thread them all together, but there's, you know, there's an architectural practice. There's a building development company in Longboat. There's the product development in Timberworks, and then there's the, um, the housing association that's in there. Now, I can see how all they fit together, but they have four very different contexts. What I find interesting, you've mentioned about the, um, about the architectural practice, the cadence and the pace that you've got there because things need to be done now because things are running a bit faster. And, and in some ways that's enjoyable because there's less of the having to explain to people who were holding you back might be yeah. the way to think about that. Yeah. And then you've also got in the development company that you can actually see that that's moving along. But because you had a very deep values-based process and culture, those things come to the fore. What I'm really interested in is that you spoke then about the um, change-enabled people um, that they're thriving, but the people who are actually change resistant are struggling. We're, we're going to have a little bit of a look at that. Yeah. Because if, if we go into the idea of equity, environment, efficiency, the equity part is social equity, helping people and giving them a hand up, fights with the efficiency side. And the efficiency side is just get me experts who are change enabled and make sure that we take them through. So it's like a breakthrough rather than a bring along. And so, so I think it's important that we actually explore how do we bringing along some people who are struggling because, you know, a community that has great depth and great value looks after all of its population, not just the people who are thriving. And so, so I'm, I'm going to dig into that a little bit. But what I, what I want to do now is I want to go across to Nancy and I want to have a, a bit of chat with you, Nancy, because there's a bit of a thread here. You know, Nancy, uh, two and a half, almost three months ago, you um, uh, you had a, a, a new daughter. Son. And, son. Oh, son. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. No, that's okay. For some reason I thought it was a daughter. There you go. Yeah. Um, so you had a new son and your new son's come in and in many ways that's interrupted your role in leading the practice, but it's also this very interesting time of bringing new life. There's health challenges in there. There's lockdown but you've still got a practice that you need to keep managing and you've still got a practice that needs to keep performing. And, you, of course, you've got other people around the practice there. But this changes the, the way that things work and there will have been some stresses and pressures, some changes that have come in for yourself. How has that helped you in actually being able to go and thrive in some ways and where have the challenges been? Well, um, this whole well, my son was born kind of, right when we went into lockdown in Melbourne mm -hmm. and um, it was only a couple of weeks prior. He came a month early, mind you, so it was just totally kind of wasn't part of the plan. But um, we had transitioned the agency from our studio in the city to respective homes. Suddenly my son's born. I had no choice but to keep going. Mm -hmm. So I found that I... Um, embraced the whole lockdown situation as an opportunity for me because one being able to bring a baby into the world it's my third so I felt very fortunate that it was my third it wasn't my first there were no visitors at the hospital or something wow. I can sleep I can rest when the baby's down I don't have to worry about you know people walking in on me um so I, I made a really swift amazing recovery so I'm, I was very grateful for that time came home other children at home, homeschooling, all of that kind of thrown into it. But, yes, we had this agency to run and um, I run my agency with my partner in life as well, Miguel. So we 
um, it's our livelihood. So we absolutely had no choice but to make it work. And we, we kicked into gear basically. Um, having the children home as well meant we didn't have to worry about drop-offs and pickups. So it actually was a positive position to be in, although it was it was daunting and you know, fear could have totally interrupted our flow. We didn't let it. We um, generally, whenever something brings me fear, I go through this process that probably you've all probably heard of it before, um, where I address my fears. I write them down in a note, whether it's now or in the middle of the night, and I, I just write down goals to help me achieve, to enable me to address these fears. They no longer become fears. They become goals that I have to achieve. So I kicked into that mode. It was just purely, you know, optimism was my only option. I had to deal with ensuring that our culture remained. And like you, Theo, we've got a very value-based culture in at HM. So the, the people we've recruited that kind of went with us from the studio to homes were well-equipped with how we roll and everyone knows, you know, you're on this bus with us and if, you're, if it's not suiting you, um, you know, there are other options for you. So we, we were able to transition very successfully as a team. I was able to be there, be present, even though, um, and, and I guess it's something I was speaking about earlier at a meeting just this morning, being in lockdown and going through COVID, it, it enabled me to connect with people more than I ever have because had I had a child, um, I wouldn't have been so connected to the business. I probably would have taken a few months off as a minimum, right? But because all of this happened, I cracked straight back into it um, and it, it enabled us to keep the momentum up in the studio, which was really rewarding for me. It was really rewarding for the team. Um, the team felt security, um, which was wonderful for them because it is day by day. We're still not able to forecast six months in advance or a year in advance. It's, it's week by week now. Um, but being present and being able to be at home, I knew what I needed to do as a leader and it was all about just being presenting that optimism but, you know, being re realistic, I guess, as well. So I hope that answers your question. Well, actually, so, so it's interesting. Uh, answer is a is a very inter interesting concept, isn't it? You know, I think it, definitely you've addressed it. I don't think um, uh, you know. I, I remember always saying I never answer anything. I just address things. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I, I'd then like to go across to Celso because uh, the team at Tiger Spike um, uh, on a good side that the um, income uh, supporting scheme job keeper wasn't appropriate to the studio. And so that's actually one of those trigger points where you say, well, it means that you weren't hit with a 30% downturn in revenue. But um, you've begun to go and actually uh, open up uh, to hire new people. Your freeze on headcount has changed. And now you're having to reimagine, well, how do you go help those clients who are after new projects, increased scope of work, new business to go get the future faster? You must um, have some location issues where you're going to locate people and you've probably also got the pick of the pie because there's some really great talent that will let go from people who couldn't afford to hold. What's going on for Tiger Spike? Yeah, it's been a it's been a very humbling experience um, um, all the way through this, um, knowing that we may have had um, a pretty fortunate run as much as, you know, we, we put precautions in place. We put a, you know, a, a freeze on certain professional budgets and things like that just to be 
you know, just to be responsible during this time to make sure that we're not going beyond our means. And um, but we we definitely saw a pretty consistent um, stream of work coming in. Um, what's been interesting is as we progress through this time, and we've seen, you know, um, our one of our uh, approaches is um, that you know we 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 prefer to work collaboratively with clients and even to go there and work with them. And obviously this has created a bit of separation. So we've had that all virtual. Um, but now there's this request even from our team to go, Hey, when can we actually go and sit there with the clients? You know, um, can we go and interact with them? Can we go and collaborate with them so we can close this gap that we've clearly um, seen, you know, in terms of having the different locations, it becomes difficult because we've been easily being able to have, you know, our design talent from our Sydney office support Melbourne projects and Melbourne clients and, you know, and even from Brisbane. So now when we're talking about co-locating logistically, that starts becoming a little bit difficult because, well, it's not so easy to co-locate someone from Brisbane or Sydney, you know, into a Melbourne scenario and, and vice versa. So those are the kind of things that we're going through at the moment. Um, and, and then, you know, that means that we're needing to start expanding our our talent pool right now because we're seeing the you know the, um, some new work coming in that we that we didn't know was coming, um, and you know we've been fortunate to have that land with us, and, and so we're expanding in that way. But I definitely think that um, from what Theo and Nancy were talking about is that this has been humbling, and it's really taught us to look at ourselves and 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 understand what our position is, what our values are, because it tests that you know, our resilience is built on standing on the values and the culture that we've established. And it's really a good test to see if they hold up. And, and I'm not surprised, but I'm very pleased that it has held up and it's made sure that we've been able to progress and, and continue through this time. So I think, you know, we've seen some, some positive growth as much as it was slowed. We've seen positive growth and yeah, we're just going to continue, continue to go with that. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, the idea about the energy that comes from being in each other's presence. Uh, a good friend of mine, a musician, was saying that he had uh, one of the students that he's been doing um, you know, tuition via, via Zoom, and uh, the child wasn't uh, thriving in that circumstance. So as we came out of lockdown, then he did an in-person um, tutorial uh, lesson for them. And he said when he heard the, the child playing, that he broke down with tears because of the energy that was coming from having somebody performing in front of them. Yeah. It was so different than the person actually performing via, uh, you know, Zoom. And and I think we forget the energy that comes from being into the same room with each other. And that's, you know, definitely offices are going to be different shapes. You know, the way that we interact, there's convenience in this, but I think it's actually a balance, isn't it? We need to make sure that we're actually with each other at important times, but also that we're um, able to have Julie, I wanted to actually throw across to you because you've, um, in our pre-conversation for this call, you shared that there's a, a project that you've uh, just come to the end of. And uh, and you also mentioned there that there was actually, as um, Nancy had mentioned, the idea of the forecast being shot, um, that you were saying that the, the pipeline doesn't have the resilience that you normally would think that your, you know, that your work pipeline would have. 
that seems to be a problem for a lot of people. How do they actually go build this pipeline when there isn't the casual meeting at a corporate event, there isn't an industry networking event, there isn't a, a cafe that you stopped into and somebody says, oh, you're at the end of a project, why don't you come and have a chat? We've got an overburden of work. Yeah. How are you actually addressing that or is it still watch this space? Um, a bit of both. I mean, it's we certainly haven't um, had the luxury of... Um, sitting back and watching the world go by by us, to be honest. I mean, it's it's been, similar to what Thea was saying, very hard and fast since this all started. Um, we, you know, The team itself is only six, there's only six of us, and January and February we really had probably 80% of us were brand new and then suddenly we were all into lockdown. So we barely even knew each other and then had to move the team to work remotely. So, again, similarly to Thea, one of, some of the things that we couldn't say um, no to was to actually really um, push our IT to get into the mode of working from home and, and our servers and all of that to work. So we, we actually displayed a lot of resilience um, and at the same time being very lucky to have a strong stable of projects at the time. But like you mentioned, as each project finishes, then we, in the long term, we need to look at a project or two to replace that project. And that's probably our biggest challenge at the moment. So meetings are, are, are not hard to put together. I mean, these Zoom meetings are great. Um, but certainly the, the intimate nature of having a meeting like face-to-face, um, coffee, drinks, dinner, lunch, whatever, it hasn't been available. And, I've, you know, historically for me, that's, that's how I've, built relationships was to have those moments together and and um when you're not able to do that it's been very difficult so we've relied heavily on on our existing relationships and building the network outside of that looking more at collaborative um relationships rather than you know b2b or um even b2c um it's really had to expand our horizons but certainly pipeline is um is is our biggest challenge at the moment. It's certainly not technology, it's not staff, it's not resilience, um, but it is um, it is pipeline, particularly after, I mean, we, we've been able to get JobKeeper. So after JobKeeper finishes, the numbers might run a little bit differently and I might lose a bit more sleep. Um, although I have teenagers, Nancy, so... For other reasons, reasons, different level. That's it. So I know that. I mean, but then I think I'm pretty pragmatic with with how I think. You know, with every business you have, whether it's your practice or or you know within a practice that you work within, there's always going to be a challenge. And right now, this is our challenge. So, what's the approach of it? Um, I don't like to drown, so. Um, it's head above water every single time. But there's there's also a push that you've got about the reimagining of um, aged care, which is your speciality, and then focusing on what what happens when you go and look at the workforce inside healthcare, and uh, which I think is an interesting insight, and and then look at how is the workforce managed, and then how do you actually use that yeah. as a way to go and actually create a new era of aged care. Yes. So, so you've got these very immediate things, but you've also got these quite um, almost an expedition, which is there's unknowns out there and you're trying to work out how do you go into an expedition into the future of aged care. Mm. 
that doesn't return immediately, does it? You know, no. at, at some point you're going to say, well, that's actually something we know that we need to go and address and it needs a design lens put on it so that we can mm. actually understand with empathy. Mm. There's immediate needs. There's a cliff that's going to happen when JobKeeper stops. Yeah. We're all, we've all got those cash flow concerns, mm. but we also need to be investing in those longitudinal expeditions that can carry us into a return future at a later stage. So I think I think that's really interesting, seeing that balance that you've got of attending to the now, but also attending to the future. Yeah. And, and I'm also of the view that there's really the last three, four months, there's nothing more controversial and more um, challenging than COVID in recent times. So, you know, bringing up controversial topics that normally we'd probably sidestep around, we, we just talk about it. You know, so for example, Mark, you were saying the importance of workforce in aged care, where it's always been very front of house. There is so much more importance with em- employees looking after the work, work, um, sorry, aged care workers, their environment, because um, that snowballs to the, the ability to care. It's um, so our design um, practice now is very focused on not just front of house for the residents and family, but very much about designing for, for the workplace. And I think we're, we're finding out through the Aged Care Royal Commission and through other sources, um, many of the people who are helping support in aged care as um, uh, contract labour are people who couldn't get jobs as prison guards or as security guards. And you go, they're not the people we should be having in aged care. We should yeah. be having the greatest nurturers, not the failed security guards. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I think there's a very interesting focus. We've got to look at that workforce. They need to be expert in nurturing in complexity, not necessarily trying to go and run a detention facility for aged people. Okay. Hass, I want to go across to you and I want to go talk. Uh, at at Scavello, you've got this huge mothership, so lots of people would know the brand, but you've also got a very um, compact team who are trying to make sure that you're working in the interior fit-outs and the office spaces in there. So you've got the both dimensions there. You've got that micro dimension, how, does, how do the projects that you're working on, where's the pipeline come from, and you've also got this big mothership that has endured quite a few downturns in markets and interruptions to markets. How's it working for you in your world? How's the team holding together and how are your clients actually creating chaos or hell for you? Well, yes, we have um, lots of insight into lots of other businesses as we're, you know, embedded and partnered with all streams of uh, industry. So it gives us a uh, great insight of how people are coping and then we have our own needs and wants. Um, so one of the things that we've noticed, hello, am I breaking up? <laughs> you are breaking up a little bit, yeah? No, maybe, maybe just get a little bit closer to the mic. Let's see what happens there, yeah? The NBN, I blame the NBN. <laughs> uh, so our wants and needs in the business are basically, am I still breaking up? No, you're good. Uh, how do we satisfy people's um, psychological requirements? Because as a business, and, and Theo touched on this before, there are two types of outlooks in, in business at the moment. The ones that want to stay with the status quo and they want the world to change and the ones that nurture and, and, and seek disruption and change and, and actually are quite flexible and uh, comfortable in that world where everything is, is in a state of flux. So 
most businesses will often uh, satisfy the, the, the five stages of psychological want, Maslow's pyramid of, of psychological pyramids from where I come from. That's an important thing for me. So the first stage is basic psychological, uh, physiological, sorry, is um, you need food, water, air to breathe. Second stage is you need um, uh, a sense of uh, belonging uh, and then a sense of, uh, and it goes all the way up to the sense of self-actualization. So the problem is we all have given people a wage and a security of a job, and that's where it kind of stops. We don't give them a sense of team, uh, being part of a team, being part of a society, and then it, becoming experts in that field so they feel like they're actually giving back to society as a whole. Um, this is a great period to adjust to that and give people a little bit of something more. And therefore, the, the central office in most businesses is going to become a, a hub of wellness as opposed to a, uh, a somewhere where you go and uh, actually do productive work. That could be elsewhere. So the fact that that wellness hub, the central office, uh, we as leaders in the industry will have to change our aspect or our mindset on um, why, why are we dragging people into the office anymore? Uh, it is that sense of, like you said, to have an audience or have a, a, someone to speak to that creates a certain energy. Um, the productive stuff, the manual stuff, the, the things that you have to sit there and do alone, focus time work, that can be taken elsewhere. So managers who are still sitting in the mindset that um, you have to come to the office to do work are going to really suffer with that concept and we're going to have to bring them along for the ride, as you said, otherwise they'll be left behind. How do we do that as a society as a whole is going to be a, a, a quite a large cultural shift. Um, most uh, businesses today don't cater for your mental well-being. They, they, they talk about it. They, they kind of, they know, they want to get there, but they don't know how the vehicle to get there. That's going to be something bringing in lots of different experts from different fields. How do we go into that journey? And for us specifically in furniture, where do we sit in that? I mean, that's an interesting point. How does furniture help your, your uh, mental state? Um, it could be all sorts of things from where we come from. It could be, you know, color color affects your your um, your uh, well-being and your status in the office. Uh, ergonomics is obviously an important feature. Um, but also setting up the, the, the safe zones in that environment for you to come and have a chat and not feel... Um, you have to be at a working desk. You could be just in a collaborative space. It could be very casual. So it is an evolving workforce. It's an evolving office. What you think it is going to be in the future, when you get there, it won't be that. It'll be something completely different, and we have to be you know, agile and flexible enough to, to adapt to that um, because I think the typical nine-to-five scenario come in, Bundy and Bundy out of the office is, 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 is dwindling away, but people are resisting. And, and that's, that's the thing. And, and I think when, so I, I get this idea of, a, say, a concertina effect that we, we tried to go keep the parameters of our community relatively constrained, but what's happening is there's some people that are thriving and moving to the future and the other people are actually staying where they were. And, uh, and there's obviously a capacity that we have to go tolerate that, but there's also going to be a breaking point like an elastic band. And we, we 
don't want to make sure or we want to make sure that we haven't left those people behind. So there's actually, there'll be a certain degree of stress, there'll be a certain degree of trauma about the change that's coming about. One of the things I find interesting about change is that for some people, change means getting to the future benefit faster. For other people, change means current benefit loss. So it's about the imagination of the future and and are you losing a current benefit or are you gaining a future benefit? And that's something that we don't explain to people. And if you're somebody who has relatively low equity in a community, generally it's been that you've lost on multiple occasions. I think that's like the summary. If I had to go into Black Lives Matter, if I went into people of lower socioeconomic standing, their resistance to change is because generally they've missed out when changes occurred. They haven't gained. And I remember that game Snakes and Ladders that we had as kids. You know, they've been picking up more of the snakes that have taken them down. They haven't been getting the ladders up. And really what we need to do is help their imagination and that's through culture, it's through communication that they understand that that change will help get to future benefit faster. And I remember my father was, um, he was a secretary of the Borderside Workers Federation and his imagination appeared to be that people should be working in conventional cargo on waterfronts, you know, the very old manual handling. It wasn't that... If people weren't doing that work, there were other jobs that had higher, you know, realisation, higher agency for them. It was how do we go look after the people where they are today? And so for me, that's always present. The change actually, if it's done properly, is a change that doesn't get that concertina getting stretched to breaking point, but we actually make sure we're taking the front group and we're also taking the mid and the back group and that we're bringing everybody together into the future um, at the same time. Because if you have just people breaking through, you then wind up with then a culture break. There's actually people who have and have not. It's very demonstrative and you need to make sure that you're then repairing that. So I think that's what was fantastic, that idea of the sense of empowerment that's in, in from people getting down to Maslow's because at this stage we've got some, we, we, we know that we have some introverts who are hating the idea of going back to the office. You know, there's, there has to be a, a, a way that we deal with the trauma that they've got to go get over to get back to the office. And, and that's empathy and people who are used to change who are the people who should be doing that. That sounds to me like a designer. A designer is always about trying to get to the future. They're also about empathy and they know how to go and thread that course of the problems that are there. So it's a fantastic input. What I've enjoyed as we've gone through our talk today is that we've been able to go talk to go get those efficiency gains of the future, those future benefit things. We're going to need to go deal with some of the environmental and our physical environment for people to start off with, as well as the broader ecological environment that's out there. And we also need to make sure that we're thinking about equity that's in there, you know, from whether it was Theo, you talking about the work that you're doing, which is even helping from an equity uplift for people in social housing. Um, we've got there the team um, uh, that Celso that you're talking about, this idea of people wanting to go reconnect so they get that efficiency and acceleration there. Nancy, you were going and talking about the idea of how things have changed for you and then how do you actually keep accelerating in this in a very adaptive space. And I think there also, Julie, for you, where you've turned around and you've actually been saying, well, we've got a current circumstance, but there's also this future vision that you've got about what will be the future of healthcare and how do we get to that faster? 
And probably the most important thing on that one is how do you turn the future of health, of aged care, how do you turn that into an earning opportunity because there's only so long that any business, large or small, can sponsor a future project that doesn't turn into revenue at some point. So I think across what we've been able to go talk about today, we've given a pretty good idea of where we're up to in the rebound and the reimagine. And, guys, I've got to say, I'm always humbled to go get your attention to help us to go get to these. Before we wrap up, is there anything that comes up for any of uh, any of your presenters that you're saying, I'd love people to know about this? Uh, one of the things that I, I particularly enjoyed out of the lockdown that we've had um, perversely is the environmental impacts of the lockdown. Um, the lockdown's been really tough. It hasn't been easy at all. There's no doubt about it, like um, the confusion, the, the whole range of issues that, that the lockdown's created. The environment has been the silent winner here, uh-huh. um, which has actually been really, really wonderful to see that change. So I just I just think the change that's going to, like the interesting thing about it from a business point of view that I that I'm questioning and wondering about is, you know, will there be ever a vaccine for COVID? Is, is this going to be the new norm? So I, I kind of wonder, you know, there's this sort of tension around how much change we adapt to, how much change we invest into, and, and potentially, you know, is this actually a revolutionary design problem solution that's required here in terms of how we start to think about our homes, how we start to think about productivity, how we start to think about uh, collaboration, the collective intelligence of how we all work together locally. So there was this, you know, this push for local. And the thing that I'm finding really quite interesting is, you know, here we are interconnected across Australia in different locations, and here we are um, conversing um, quite quite happily. And, and it's just the opportunities are, are, are wonderful. And to a degree, you know, when things... Do you really want things returning back to normal the way they were? I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. From my point of view, I actually think this is this change, um, this forced change, um, um, is an opportunity. Um, it's a design opportunity in terms of how we facilitate our homes. You know how we start to think about our cities. How we start to think about our streets. So, the city of Melbourne. You know, opportunistically, you know, traffic flows are down. So, introduce more bike lanes through the centre of Melbourne, fantastic. You know, how would that have ever been possible previously? Um, so, you know, there's, there's all these things that are happening and, you know, if we can just continually focus, the thing that we focus on is if we can continually focus on it being a positive change and, you know, the economics have to be there, environmental aspects have to be there and the social elements have to be there as well. And it's been difficult, but I kind of wonder, you know, how much... You know, because we can ramp up our change even more aggressively. And the thing that's holding us up a little bit is, you know, is this going to return to normal in three months' time? Or is this or is this going to be something that's going to be around us for the next 30 years? So that's oh, interesting to deal yeah. with. That, you know, I think the, the 30 years is very interesting because we know when HIV first came in, everyone's saying we can't find a vaccine for it. Yeah, These yeah. days... You, were, you may be infected with HIV, but you're not going to die from HIV is basically, you'll die from something else, but you'll have HIV managed um, is where we've got to in the first world. Unfortunately, in developing countries, that's not the case. So I think definitely that uh, we'll have remedies for, uh, for how COVID works and our need to be isolated will uh, 
will you know reduce whether that's six months whether it's 18 months or whether it's 36 months is really the question i think nobody thinks we're getting out of this inside 12 months and uh, so we we can at least take some leadership from that because we need to work out what the planning is but what we do realize is that uh, there was no such thing as normal you know we always talk about how the 80s were this and the 90s were that and the noughties were this and and you go but that's because normal always changes Mm. And whether it's actually some people who have lost um, uh, lost their parents, lost their child, lost their life partner, we know that you never go back to normal, mm. that we always march into, into the future. And I suppose it's that we have to help people who want to march into the future to get to the future faster, to get to a future that actually has more equity for the benefit and that we help those people who are actually fearful to go to the future, realising that future benefit is there and available mm -hmm. for them. And that future benefit is environmental as well as economic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Guys, this has been absolutely fantastic. I'm always humbled to have your attention. Um, and for the viewers that are watching it, please give us some feedback on, on what you're getting out of these because, you know, working out how the um, economy works, working out how the environment works and how that equity works, that's going to be our thread for quite some time and I'd love to be getting your feedback. Again, thank you, everybody, and joining me on the call. Thank you. Thank you.